Hi, and welcome to Finding Your Way Through Therapy. I am your host, Steve Bisson. I'm an author and mental health counselor. Are you curious about therapy? Do you feel there is a lot of mystery about therapy? Do you wonder what your therapist is doing and why? The goal of this podcast is to make therapy and psychology accessible to all by using real language and straight-to-the-point discussions. This podcast wants to remind you to take care of your mental health, just like you would your physical health. Therapy should not be intimidating. It should be a great way to better health. I will demystify what happens in counseling, discuss topics related to mental health, and discussions you can have with your therapist. I also want to introduce psychology in everyday life, as I feel most of our lives are enmeshed in psychology. I want to introduce the subtle and not-so-subtle ways psychology plays a factor in our lives. It will be my own mix of thoughts as well as special guests. So join me on this discovery of therapy and psychology. Hi, and welcome to episode 60 of Finding Your Way Through Therapy. My name is Steve Bissell. If you haven't listened to episode 59, please go and listen to Joe Riley. We had a great conversation about so many great things, including trauma, her experience with mental health and the mental health system, and it was great. So I hope you get a chance to listen to that. But episode 60 will be with Carolina Gutierrez. She's a serial entrepreneur that runs three businesses and started her first business when she was 12 years old. As a mental wellness advocate for business owners, she was diagnosed with ADHD in her 30s and has since used her past difficulties to fuel her current business endeavors around the purpose of prioritizing mental wellness in business. I'm looking forward to the interview, a fellow Canadian, so I don't know if that's going to come up, but I hope it does. And here is the interview. Well, hi, and welcome to Finding Your Way Through Therapy. This is episode 60 and YouTube episode number 10. Yes, it's been 10 times now that we've been on YouTube. So I'm looking forward to that. But more importantly, looking forward to my interview with Carolina Gutierrez. And I'm hoping that I got that right after I, I mispronounced it the first time. You did great. You did great. It's great because what I, what happened is a few months ago, I was looking for guests and sometimes you, you get a lot of calls, sometimes you don't. And I was in a lull of not getting caught. And when the first, maybe the fifth or sixth person was Carolina who contacted me and she got the priority for the simple fact that we have something in common that I absolutely adore, which is we're both Canadians. Eh? Yeah. I mean... <laughs> We're, we're natural enemies in Canada because Montreal and Toronto, but that's just hockey. And we, you know, that the rest of it, we can get along. But Carolina Gutierrez, welcome to Finding Your Way Through Therapy. Thanks for having me, Steve. I'm looking forward to the next hour. I'm looking forward to it, too. I mean, it, it's interesting because I had contacted you. I, con I looked up some of your stuff and then I discovered a whole bunch of stuff. So I have like a, about, you know, I said I had seven questions. I lied. I have about 20 but hopefully we'll probably just get to some of the subjects naturally versus anything else. But since my audience and me are trying, you know, I've read a little bit about you, obviously, so I know you a little bit. But what about if you introduce yourself to the audience and tell me more about yourself? Sure. My name is Carolina Gutierrez, and I am a serial entrepreneur based just outside of Toronto, Canada. I run several businesses. I am adult diagnosed ADHD. And I consider myself a mental wellness advocate for business owners in prioritizing bringing peace into running your own show, which a lot of people don't like to talk about. So tell me more about that mental health wellness for 
business owners because that I, I know I think I know what that means, but maybe the audience doesn't. Maybe I've got it wrong. So I'd like to hear more about that. Sure. So the way I look at it is, and and the statistics back this up, running your own show, being an entrepreneur is detrimental to your mental health. A lot of business owners go into business in the first place because they actually might have some undiagnosed mental health conditions, whether it's diagnosed or undiagnosed. The statistic is 72 to 73% of business owners suffer from some type of mental illness. 60, according to CAMH, which is a Canadian research organization on mental health, said 63% of business owners report feeling depressed at least once a week. And the WHO lists entrepreneurship as an endeavor that causes entrepreneurs to be four times more likely to take their own life. So one in four more, like uh, four times more likely than the general population. Yeah. Yeah. So then if you superimpose that as a therapist, I'm sure you you can help me out here. But if you superimpose the, the statistics of suicidal ideation and reaching out for help and all that into that, really what you have is an epidemic of huge proportions within the entrepreneurial and founder space in regards to mental wellness and really not focusing on it. No one's talking about it. And so I've really tried to champion that cause moving forward. And all my businesses reflect that as well. It's a very interesting stat because the first thing that came to mind is when the highest levels of suicides are dentists and they tend to be business owners. So yeah. I was like, oh, and maybe I'm making a correlation, but no, I, and I can see why business owners struggle with that. What has been your experience for those people that have come in and talked about this? Because it's not something that business owners like to be independent, but because mm-hmm. their hyper independence kind of like plays against them in some ways. It, it isolates them. Okay, what does that mean? So they don't have the natural supports that non-business owners would have. So for example, you might have a home family and then you have a work family. And you see a lot of people that are going through struggles in their home. They're like, I look forward to going to work. I look forward to being in the office because I get a reprieve from what's going on. And vice versa, if you're having problems at work, you're like, I can't wait to get home. This is my sanctuary. This is where I find peace. I connect with the people that support me. Business owners don't have that luxury. And especially during COVID, as you might have had a business where you had a team, where you traveled to an office, that just added that extra layer there. So there's a lot of different components. Six out of the eight top suicide risks are intrinsic to running your own business. High risk, high stakes, uncertainty in income. You drag your family along with you and they're like, why are you doing this to us? I can go on and on and on. I don't want to make the show about that, but that's just, that speaks to how important that is to me because I am an entrepreneur. I work with other entrepreneurs and it became really clear to me that I'm like, there is zero support. These people are drowning. We're at getting help right? Because business owners are convinced that they can do it all and they can do it better. And they have to be convinced of that in order to start running the show. But we need to get help for that right away. And there really weren't any supports out there that specifically targeted this community. We have a lot of initiatives now. We're hearing about mental health more and more, which is fantastic. But we're not targeting this area that I think really needs to be targeted. Because as business owners, I like to say people consider entrepreneurs, the modern day superheroes, right? They think it's great. 
oh, we're building, we're creating, but it comes at a big cost and we should talk about that cost. And I know you said you didn't want this to be about what we're going to talk about today, Yeah. but suicide is one of the things that I is near and dear to me in the sense that, you know, if I can prevent any suicide, it will be a gift I gave someone, hopefully. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, I appreciate what you said, but I also think that it's always important to talk about the hard stuff. For me, it's not, mm. yeah, we, we can talk about the fluffy stuff, but finding your way yeah. through therapy has always been known as we go wherever people don't want to go and there's swears in there too. So yeah, don't worry about permissions for that. Always feel free to swear. <laughs> so maybe I can switch gears a little bit, which b- before going down, down a lot of the suicide stuff, because I, I can, th- I, I was and still consider myself a trainer for suicide prevention. So for a long time, working on a crisis team, working with the state of Massachusetts for a while too, or the Commonwealth as we have to call it here. Mm-hmm. How about you tell me more about how you got to doing that job? Not only that, but you have other ventures that you're doing. You're I like do, a serial yeah. entrepreneur. So how does Carolina get there, basically? So I was undiagnosed ADHD and I had started my first business, which was a hypnotherapy practice. I worked, I have an education in social work and I worked with a local psychologist dealing with car accident victims. Here in, in Ontario, where I live, I'm the province of Ontario, there was coverage for that under your car insurance. And so I love that work. I consider myself a healer at heart. And for me, I can see people's pain really easily. And there's nothing more important, I think, in this world than it is to work with people in helping them with their pain. And so that was something that I did for a while. Then the legislation changed in the province. And I went from a thriving practice of eight to 10 new clients a month to four in a year. And it devastated me. And I had not prepared because I didn't consider myself an entrepreneur. And I said, oh, no, what am I going to do now? And so I said, "Okay, I'm going to go back to school. I'm going to get my master's in social work because I wanted to become a licensed counselor covered through regular extended health care plans. And I knew there was something off. I didn't consider myself a dumb person, but I said something. I knew that my follow through wasn't great. And I was just like really worried that I was making this effort. And I wanted to make sure that I covered all my bases. So I went in thinking that I was going to get a learning disability diagnosis. And I walked out with an ADHD diagnosis. And that rocked my world, to be honest with you. I wasn't expecting it. I was livid for the first three months. Because when they presented it to me and I started doing my research, I looked back at my life and I was like, yeah, that." That's pretty clear that that was the issue. And I just could never kind of put my hand, my finger on what was going on, the problem. And so I had started one of my businesses, my current business called Business in Order. I had started that while I was in school because I needed a part-time job, never thinking it was going to grow into anything. And I fell out of love with my program and my business continued to grow and it's grown into I manage a team of eight and I help several business owners incorporate technology, process improvement. I say that I provide peace, time and profits. And I always lead with peace. Peace is super important in all of the endeavors that I that I take on because I think that ties into mental wellness. 
But what that business did for me is I got to see behind the scenes of all these businesses. And I got to see the pain that chaos can bring into a business owner's life on top of the numerous other stressors that come with running a business. And I kept saying, I wonder why there isn't any support. And it was just sitting in the back of my mind. And it continued, it continued. And COVID really kind of blew that open for me. It was a big personal transformation time for me. Lots of time to think. Lots of time to let that inner voice kind of really come to the surface and say, you need to shift this. You need, you, you're the solution that you've been looking for all these years for these business owners. And Soul Circles, my peer support program, was created from that, really. It was from seeing the need. I'd love to say that it was coordinated and well thought out, but it wasn't. It was just, I kept saying, all these people need so much help. They're struggling. And traditional therapy might not be doing enough for them. I knew some of them were in therapy, but the value of peer support and you seeing your story come out of someone else's mouth and the impact that that has. And I think also the statistic that really just shook me to my core was there's an Australian study on suicide, I believe it's 2018 or 2019, that 63% of people that took their life or maybe 65 had reported to their primary caregiver that they had no no suicidal ideation. And so I said, okay, so these extremely independent individuals that are entrepreneurs that do things a little bit differently than than the general population and are used to being alone, this might be speaking about them, that somebody sitting in a room, and, and no disrespect to you, Steve, I think that there's a lot of different forms of healing that we should all incorporate what works for us. But I said, you know, regular therapy might not, obviously the numbers are saying it's not enough. And so what can I create? What can I come up with that would bring the support that these people needed? And that's where my, my soul circle program started. Well, let's start off with, it'll be hard to offend me. Okay. good. (laughs) Number two, there's so many things that you said that really struck me. And again, I was going to joke around I love my Quebecer friends and the Quebecois, but we don't get offended easily as much as uh, CTV or CBC might report. As much as uh, us uh, uptight Torontonians. <laughs> I said it, don't worry. I said it. No, yeah, I know. My dad used to call Toronto the center of the universe because yeah. he worked for a company where the head office was in Toronto. Mm. But anyway, we could go on about Canada. I'm getting off yeah, subject. Yeah. Sorry. You brought, no, 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 that's fine. I mean, that's what the point is of this yeah. podcast. I think people like to get a little bit of the banter too. Yeah. One of the things you said is that when you got diagnosed, right before you got diagnosed and had trouble with paying attention, or I don't know exactly the words you used, but you said you felt like a dumb person. It really struck me because a lot of people with mental health, they feel normal, but now they have a mental health issue. They're a dumb person. They're not normal. Do you feel that that's probably why a peer support can be a lot more effective than Again, individual counseling or traditional counseling? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because one thing is for you to get help, and another thing is for you to have a conversation with somebody that shares your lived experience. It's kind of that scenario of when you're talking to somebody that's never been pregnant, you know, like there's just no comparison, right? Like 
that's probably that why there aren't any male midwives or if they are, I've never heard of them. Right. But it's, very few and far between. Exactly. For sure. Exactly. So I really think that, and we have to look at the entrepreneurial mindset a bit when discussing this because entrepreneurs fiercely independent, fiercely loyal to their ideas and to absolutely not caring one iota what other people think. And they have to have that, right? Because it is, it's the only way that you're going to take on doing something that has something like a 96% failure rate, right? You have to be almost an oracle in the belief of your message that says, I know better than everyone else to keep going this way. So those are tough nuts to crack in that they're not just going to take statistics. They're just not going to take a professional's word for it. They're going to be like, oh, you've almost declared bankruptcy three times because your business has has fluctuated so much. I respect you because you, you've got the chops. You've earned what it is to be able to speak about the experience that is entrepreneurship. Right. And I mean, you know, I relate to the entrepreneurship a lot. I run my own business. My, I just started emotional management coaching. I have this podcast. I written my own book. And a lot of it is my own entrepreneurship. And okay. I, I, I feel the isolation. I feel the, and I think that one of the things you didn't mention, and maybe if you did, I missed it. I'll tell you what really comes to mind. The word shame. Absolutely. It's a chapter in my, in my, in my program. Well, tell me more about shame because I, <laughs> to me, that's like, I'm a Brene Brown guy. Okay. Not everyone likes her. That's fine. I, I do. But the shame is such a vehicle where, you know, a failure, yeah. a miss. And then like, well, what's the point of living in the suicidality and shame sometimes are also very interlocked. So maybe you can tell me more about your experience, which how entrepreneurship and shame goes hand in hand. So I'll circle it back actually to my own personal experience of shame. So okay. when I was diagnosed and never knowing that I was going to go this path, it was something that I kept very private. I had a lot of shame surrounding that because I'm like, how are people going to trust me to organize their business, to create systems and to improve this when I'm diagnosed with uh, something that isn't necessarily tied in with something that's being organized. And so for many years, I quietly lived in the shame of having this, even though it, at the same time, it was a driving force in the help that I wanted to put out there into the world. So there's a lot of fear and secrecy and shame that plays into entrepreneurship because you're like, I don't want people to know what's really going on, whether it's the example that I just gave of my own shame. And, and the irony of that example is, is that the more that I embrace this and the more that it becomes part of my story, my origin story, and I include it in all my branding and I lead with it my business is growing and transforming. And so everything that I've been hiding and running away from was what I needed to do. And that's kind of what we touch a little bit on soul circles is the importance of that authenticity. I think that business ownership, you wear a lot of hats, you wear a lot of poker faces, right? And there's a couple of reasons for that. You're not going to say to somebody, hey, how are you doing today, Steve? And you're like, I haven't been able to pay my mortgage in two months because my suppliers are late. And, you know, no one wants to hear that. Right. And you're not going to admit that. Right. First no. of all. 
So you're, you're eating that alone. You're sitting in that fermented gawk for ages. You might not even tell your family. And so your kids, your spouse is going about spending in the same way, thinking that you're okay and you're here by yourself. And that feeling of alone can also lead to feeling trapped. And you know from your professional experience, feeling trapped is the number one kind of top feeling that people report when considering suicide, that I have no other options, right? My life is better taking it than than living in this trapped feeling. So it's something that plays out over and over constantly in an entrepreneur's life. And the reality is, is that no one wants to talk about it. No No one wants to be open because you're like, oh my God, what are they going to think? Then they're not going to want to work with me. And so then I'm going to lose business. And then this, this cycle is just going to deepen and continue over and over again. There's just so many booby traps in this space that really erode away at any mental wellness that we can possibly have. Right. And so part of the program is really one being open about that and having a peer discussion, not the facilitator, like the facilitator has to be an entrepreneur as well. That's part of the way I've developed it, because if you're going to be involved in this, you have to understand the fire that is in the belly of of an entrepreneur to create, to build, because many people turn around and say, why are you doing this to yourself? And it's like, well, if you're anything like me, I'm in the shower and I have ideas. I'm in the car and I have ideas. I'm falling asleep and I dream about ideas. The, my husband is an entrepreneur and our dinner conversations are business ideas and how to improve. When you constantly have that in you, if you try and quell it, it is impossible to quell. And if you do manage somehow to quell it, you're probably using some substance to quell it. Because it is so strong and it is so powerful, that need to create. So anyway, but going back to what you were saying, it is intrinsically connected into that scenario. Yeah. And, and, you know, I like the idea too, because when you do have a lot of creativity, as you said, and you have entrepreneurship, you got to get a lot of ideas. The other thing that I think that seeps in for a lot of people is why didn't I pursue idea 17 versus idea 27? And this constant feeling of failure, and it's not failure in my opinion, but I, you know, again, I, I work with a few entrepreneurs myself in my private practice and my coaching job. So how do we kind of like also work on not all ideas are going to be home runs and sometimes a home run is going to slip out of your hands. Yeah. Yeah. And you got to be okay with that. That's actually part of membership into this club. <laughs> right. It's a club that never stops asking you for dues and the dues are expensive every time. N- number one. Number two. So this is my spin on it. And I know that it's not everyone's flavor in the business world, but this is this is how I've chosen to deal with that. And, and what I've incorporated into the Soul Circles program is the importance of your intuition the importance of following that inner guidance. I think that's a pillar for mental wellness, period, regardless if you're an entrepreneur or not, but specifically, more specifically for an entrepreneur, because there are so many different ways, because you run the show. And at the end, you're the final decision. So 
for an entrepreneur, you make hundreds, if not thousands of micro decisions every single day. How are you being able to really kind of carve that path instead of being caught up in all the details that running a business can constantly put in front of you? And I'd love to get back to soul circles because I think that there's so much we can talk about the peer support group. For me, I go back to a little bit of, and I can't remember the exact stats on AA, but it was something like 68%. If the number's off, please look it up and someone can write to me. (laughs) But if you go, you have a substance abuse problem, you go to therapy versus a peer group, it tends to be almost 68% more effective to go to peer group versus a therapist. Absolutely. And so again, I, I practice Reiki, I practice EMDR, I'm a coach. I don't believe in a one size fits all mentality. So you'll never, like you talked about that earlier, you need to look, you know, for me, if a rock's going to help you, I'm going to give you a rock. Uh, that's I really what care. I say. I'm like a dead chicken on my head. Done. Okay. If yeah. it's going to fix what I need fixed, let's do it. But I think I want to circle back to something because when one of the, the reasons why I put it, you know, we, we got to connect is that I had put like, can you talk about your experience in therapy? Mm-hmm. I don't see what, what we're talking about right now. I don't see you as saying bad things about therapy at all. At all. No, not right. at all. Mm-mm. But I'd like to hear more about your experience in therapy because that's kind of the episode kind of theme every single time. Yeah. How was your experience in therapy? So I've done numerous different amounts of and types of therapy throughout my life. It's something that I think I remember volunteering in the eighth grade for an art therapist that was coming to my school and wanting to work with certain students. If I look back, but I didn't even realize what I was doing at the time, or maybe I did, who knows. And I've been in psychotherapy, couples counseling, like I just I firmly embrace the motto. I think we all need help. And I, I really am, have no shame or am secretive in regards to that. I'm very open about my own path in therapy. But the one therapy that particularly sticks out for me was the one that I did when I was about 18 and a half. So here in, in Canada, we have universal health care, so we don't have to pay. So this was a particular, they gave me like 12 free sessions for dealing with a psychotherapist for something that I was going through at the time. It was a relationship breakup. It was my first one. I was a mess. And now that, you know, I am the age that I am, I have, I have the training that I have. I've seen numerous therapists. I look back at that experience and I'm like, I can't believe that I continued on in therapy with the experience that I had because that person had absolutely no reason or that should not have been the career that they were in at the time. It was so, so bad. And I am so proud of myself that a few years later, I'm like, I really need help. I just, and I was paying out of pocket at the time for that. And I said, okay, you know, I'm going to be a little, you know, my voice hadn't really come in and I was still in a very kind of hurt place. And I'm like, I'm really going to try to find someone like that treats me a little bit better than that person treated me. Um, and luckily I did. And I've had some wonderful experiences then, but I think we need, I, I love the fact that you bring this, this topic up because I think that it's so important to talk about how in this field, when you're dealing with feelings a, a negative experience like that can ruin a person for the rest of their life in regards to reaching out for help. Right. 
and it's interesting because when in my the reason why I do this podcast and the reason why I do the work I do and for my regular listeners, they've heard me say this a hundred times, but it's fine. I think it, it bears to be re- repeated. I'm not everyone's cup of tea as a therapist and that's okay. Yeah. I swear a little more than most therapists. I love it. I love it. <laughs> I come from a long line of direct people. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. my, my style of therapy can be supportive. I'm not saying I'm not supportive, but I'm also kind of direct, which can be you know, not the greatest for some people. And what you did was fantastic because it wasn't whatever that person was going through. It wasn't your type of therapy, whatever. And, I, you know, I, and then you're like, no, I'm not going to give up. And I tell people it's not about CBT, DBT, EMDR, coaching, peer support. No, it's about the relationship. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so I, the, what you did was fantastic because when you have a, for your, I can't remember. I remember vaguely from years ago reading something about if you have a negative experience in therapy the first time, you're 50% more less likely to continue therapy ever. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to break that. If there's one thing I can change in life is that just change that because maybe it's not a male, maybe it's a female, maybe it's less direct, maybe it's a more direct, maybe it's 30 minutes, not 60 minutes or 45 or whatever. But I think that what you did was very, I, I give you a lot of credit. What do you think kind of like made you persevere through that? Because that is my kind pain, of difficult. The level of my pain. What the, do you mean by the, that? The level of hurt that I was personally in, in dealing with the life circumstances that I was at the moment, I was drowning. I was absolutely drowning. And there was probably, how many years was that? So I was 18. And then I started again when I was about 22. So it would have been four years where I was like, this was just getting worse and worse. And, and, you know, like I look back at it now and undiagnosed ADHD, my life was kind of chaotic. I came from, you know, I had abandonment issues. My dad left when I was two, like we can go into the specifics of what that was, but I've worked on that enough that I'm comfortable sharing that. But at the core of it was just the realizing that it can't always be like that. And, and I, when I speak to people about therapy, whether it's on a professional level or on a personal level, friends, I said, you shop around more for, for shoes than you do a right. therapist. Yet you're opening your heart. You're opening the most sacred part of you and your story to somebody that you're just going to, whoever named them, you should just sit there. I'm like, you need to interview them. If they don't have, you know, like an initial 15 minute meet and greet, that probably is not the person that you should be dealing with because a good therapist is going to know that that rapport is what's important and that trust that you're building with the people that you're seeing. And it shocks me how people are like, and I would say 9.5 out of 10 are like, I never thought of doing that. And I'm kind of like, what? What do you mean you never thought of, of inter? you interview a contractor. <laughs> I'm like, you're not going to interview right. someone to, to open your soul up to? I'm like, that just sounds ludicrous. So I, I think that that's really, and maybe it comes from an empowerment place. Like, I, I don't know. I haven't thought about it enough, but it, I'm always very surprised when, 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 when I get that reaction, when I share that. I think that empowerment has a lot to do with it, number one. I also think that pride mm-hmm. plays against a whole lot of people. Mm-hmm. See, therapy is not for me. That one time with that one person never worked. Yeah. 
well, that's not how it works. You don't go to one contractor. He doesn't know how to fix, you know, make your pool in the backyard or something like that's it. No contractor will ever help me. You don't know. No, you're going to go shop a few more before you go. Okay. Maybe no one could put a, I know, I don't know, pool over a septic tank. Maybe there is. I don't know. I'm a therapist. I don't know that stuff. <laughs> that's not your specialty. But point being is that that's absolutely true. And I think that it takes the pride gets in the way because it was already hard enough to reach out. For me, when people say, you know what, I don't like your style. I'm like, perfect. I have like four or five other people I can recommend. They're like this, they're like that. What do you want? People like, you don't feel threatened. I'm like, why would I feel threatened? Mm -hmm. And so I think that what you did is not only brave, I think it's took away your pride. You know, you didn't get your pride in the way. Hi, I'm just taking a quick break of this interview to let you know that I've truly enjoyed doing 60 plus episodes of finding your way through therapy. And I just want to remind you that when we're doing these podcasts, it's a labor of love. And what I mean by that is that there's not much revenue. It takes time, it takes money, and you need to distribute it and things like that. So one of the things that I was hoping to talk to you about is being able to help me out. You can always give a review, which is always beneficial. But more than that, I really want you to go to buymeacoffee.com backslash Steve Bissell. And the reason why I wanted you to go there is that you can give a donation of any kind to support this podcast that you hopefully have gotten a lot from. And any type of amount will be beneficial for me. And I just want to make sure that you can support me by doing so. And let's get back to the interview. How do we encourage people not only to be brave about their mental health, going to the right therapist and finding the right match, but even more so, we talk about mental health in the business world. Yeah. If someone has diabetes and needs to take time because their blood sugar is low and all that, we don't bat an eyelash. Someone's having a hard time with anxiety, having a panic attack and all that. Oh, they're crazy. Yeah. yeah. How do <laughs> I mean, I call it, I think someone, one of my guests mentioned mental health mental health informed. That's what they used as a term. I think that you talked about being how to get them to prioritize that in businesses. How do we do that? So <laughs> it's funny that you should say this because I spoke to a marketing person about my program. She has a similar idea. I would say not as similar topic. Right. Execution is very different, but hers focuses on women. And she just blatantly came out and said, oh, honey, you cannot sell it as a mental wellness for business. You cannot do that. They just won't, they won't respond to that. So, and I'm like, okay, well, how do I approach this? And she said, you have to let them know that it's going to make them a better business owner. So it's like speaking their own language in order to get them the help that they actually need. And I right. would say that the, maybe I'm wrong, I don't know, but I would say that the pride level of a business owner is a little bit higher than the general population in that they have to keep that poker face. So I know for myself, the way I've started to tackle that is through radical honesty. And so okay. in sharing my own story, and I really am trying to kind of pioneer that a bit, like you're, you're hearing more and more about the importance of this, but I'm diagnosed with anxiety and ADHD. I have been through several bouts of depression in my life, but I always come back to, I just don't know everything. It's impossible to know everything. So I'm good at certain areas, but I'm not good at, at other areas. And right. I would never cut my own hair, right? 
I would go to some, I can't like, I can't as much as I have training. I do, but that's you do? okay. <laughs> <laughs> but as, as much as I have training, I can't have the introspection and right. the um, sounding board that someone that is not has my life experience in my filters to try and address some of these things that pop up in life. And, and the reason why I made that joke for those who don't watch the YouTube channels that I'm bald, <laughs> just shave my head. Lucky so. you save lots of money by not buying the game with a cut your own hair. <laughs> you know what? I, I buy a clipper every five years, cost me 35 bucks to 50, well, probably 50 now with uh, inflation, but last me five years. What's that? 10 bucks a year. There you go. Preach. Perfect. <laughs> but no, and I think of what I found with businesses and part of my business, my coaching is a little bit about that. And it's like kind of exploring with businesses that the better people know how to manage their emotions, the better people know how to manage because if you present it as mental health, I know people will go running for Z Hills. <laughs> But if I say, oh, no, it's about emotional management and how you'd be more effective as a business. Pro- oh, people are on board. It's really mental health, but I know I have to disguise it. Yeah. I, I don't know how long it's going to take us to get there. But I know that I know my, a little bit about the Canadian mental health system. I remember it when I was you know, in Montreal and then studying at McGill and how archaic is the best word I can use. It's still not it, great. It's still not great. You know, let's be honest here, right? You talked about social social medicine, yeah. and you know, Americans always say, "Oh, that's great in Canada." I'm like, "No, it sucks sometimes." Yeah. And what one of the suckiest part of mental health is mental health for socialized medicine, because I know that last year, like I can't remember where I read it, but the Quebec government put in like 25 million into mental health. Oh wow, yeah, for that's eight like million people, what is drop? That? Like that's ridiculous, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, and we're supposed to celebrate this. So I, I just want to mention that in case of my, my American friends are listening. Well, I'm not 100% sure my American and Canadian friends are listening. Yeah. But it's not to idealize a, a socialized medicine. I actually would like to clarify that because I think that this brings up a really important thing. That free help that I received was for a special program for youth. I was at the top end i was at the end like i was just fitting into that program which was emergent it was like an emergency or like not emergency but what was it they called it like immediate need type of to address whatever it was i got those 12 free sessions that therapist refused to give me more than six so (laughs) and i was like but don't i have more sessions and she goes yeah you're not going to come back and i was like so it all has problems, and this is a, an issue of the magnitude that it impacts all our lives. And regardless of the country that you're in, it needs to be better addressed. Right. Yeah. And and I think that's a great point because one of the things that I talk about for my work as a therapist, and frankly in my coaching, it's the same thing. If you don't take care of the physical, mental, and your spiritual life, you are fucked. Absolutely. And we, those are pillars in my soul circles program. You're preaching to the converted, Steve. <laughs> you absolutely are fucked. There's no other word around that. How do you work with those pillars, particularly spirituality, which, you know, a lot of people are afraid to go there. I, I personally don't give a crap because I'm a Buddhist and I practice Buddhism. I shouldn't say I'm a Buddhist. 
And I tell people like, we accept everything. That's what Buddhist principles are, as long as it doesn't harm people. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people with spirituality are like, oh, you don't like Jesus or you don't like Ganesh or you don't like Abraham. I'm like, no, it has nothing to do with not liking anyone. Just a choice. How do we make maybe people embrace that spirituality, especially in your support, peer support? I apologize. So it's one of the modes of resiliency. And so we discuss different modes of resiliency when it comes to creating a healthy setup for mental wellness and having people that you can speak to, having organizations or causes that are important to you, recognizing and honoring what values are there. If you look at that, that is mission, vision, and values in a business, right? So we're translating that into your personal life. So I really... I know it it might sound a little kitschy, but I really try and speak the same language so that they're understanding it. Because the reality is, is that as much as I love entrepreneurs, I speak business and feelings fluently. Most entrepreneurs do not. And you've probably come across that, right? It's one or the other usually. Exactly. And so the minute that I start talking about feelings and emotions, you can just feel the energy shift in the room and you can see and you you almost see their faces go white because it's like, I don't feel comfortable talking about this. I don't want to share this. So I really put it in a frame. And I think that's what makes my program unique is I put it in a business framework for them, even though part of my program is you're not allowed to talk about your business. So it's like, she's speaking my language. We're kind of talking about business without directly talking about it. So I'm, I don't mean to we trick We don't talk them. about Bruno? <laughs> yes, pretty much. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I really, one, I try and know my market. As a business owner, you need to know your market. You need to know who you're selling to, right? Speak their language, make things that are relevant. But it was interesting because I, I was worried about the spirituality stuff. But I think that our world is shifting and people are more and more craving that. Whether they recognize it, as that or not, we're really moving forward. And tying that back to what you were saying about kind of being fucked in that you're not addressing those three components. I think we're seeing the world and and the changes that we're seeing in the world currently. I really think if we're looking at it at a deep fundamental level is we're seeing that change occur. We're seeing that change of that need. We swung the pendulum very far one way in saying it's all science, we no longer need it because the pendulum had been very far the other way. And I think that we're starting to come to a place where it's like, well, both of these can coexist and we need to create supports and we need to create, we need to address issues that are lacking this. I I debated a lot about naming my program Soul Circles for that exact same reason. It's going to turn off some people. But I think that as somebody that I consider myself extremely spiritual and it's part of my hypnosis practice, what I know is that there's a lot of people that practice or have these beliefs in secret, right? Right. They might not say it and, you know, they'll never admit to it. But I, on my podcast, I had the opportunity to introduce a PhD candidate that deals with medical science literature, I believe is what they said. And she said, I have taken my education to this level because I want to have spiritual conversations with these scientists 
And she goes, they are, they are the most spiritual people that you'll come across. You just got to give them the opportunity, one, to feel safe, not to be open about it, right? Create that safe space and to speak to them in a language that they understand. So I think the whole world needs it and, and why it's such an important part in my program. I think I was going to break in the song. What we now need, what the world needs now is love, <laughs> sweet love. But for people who are younger, I'm sorry, you won't get it. That's fine. <laughs> the other thing that I think that is important that you mentioned in your, when, when I was reading a lot of stuff online and even here is neurodiversity. Yeah. Yeah. To me, I heard, by the way, hundred percent agree, but let's say I don't know what that means. What neurodiversity means? Yeah, what does neurodiversity means and how does that impact my life in general? So to me, neurodiversity means that I process the world a little bit differently than other people. Aside from that, I think that there are a whole bunch of other things that go along with that. But at its fundamental level, I think that that's what it means. So, for example, part of my neurodiversity is my hearing is extremely sensitive, extremely sensitive. So loud noises, loud music, being in an environment where there's a lot of people talking at the same time, I can't process that, right? So luckily we are in a world that is starting to understand that. I think we're being forced to understand that. I don't think that we're willingly going there, but that's another conversation. When you look at the increasing statistics on autism, And autism is a type of neurodiversity, just like ADHD is. So it's just really a process. We just process things differently. And I look at it now, instead of looking at it as a hindrance, I look at it as part of my superpower. It's part of why I can run three full-time businesses that all make money, that I have teams that, and the ideas just keep coming. And I, I used to hide my neurodiversity because I thought no one's going to take me seriously. (laughs) right but why I was given this gift why am I going to hold this back and if you can't take me seriously because you think that I do too much that's your problem but if you look at titans of industry they do tons of stuff how many things does Elon Musk get involved in how many things does that virgin guy do they're you know it's just they they diversify so why am I holding myself back and COVID really helped me with that really helped me kind of shift that Right. And I, and I think about neurodiversity. I also think about the increase in autoimmune issues Absolutely. that we have, particularly Crohn's disease, which is a dear thing to my heart due to a friend of mine. And I know that I was reading in uh, Journal de Montréal very quickly today how those numbers have kind of like increased steadily in the last two and a half years. And we had a pandemic two and a half years ago. Coincidence? I don't know. But certainly thinking about not only the neurodiversity of our brains, but how it affects our physical. Absolutely process for a lack of a better word. And I would say that it's great that you brought that up because a lot of people think that neurodiversity is just one way. But I know, for example, for anyone that's neurodiverse, food sensitivities are a huge issue, right? Like you tied it in with Chrome's skin sensitivities. There's like two deodorants in the world that I can use that, you know, so I try my best to be a good citizen and not stink. But the reality is, is if I use a regular deodorant, I break out. I feel horrible for for weeks. So we can translate this into a variety of different ways that neurodiversity shows up in people's lives. Right. And, I, and you know, there's two things that came to mind. 
I have very dry skin and jeans are something I've never enjoyed wearing. And people are like, oh, you're not trending. No, it's because I just, it, it the rubs feeling. my skin. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other thing that came up, I was thinking about, and this is where I, you, hopefully I'll make you laugh because being entrepreneurs, both of us, I'm like, ooh, I can see an advertisement for you finding the right deodorant on your podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I'll take it. I'll take it because it's pricey. And so maybe they'll send me some to promote. (laughs) And I'll definitely put your email into my show notes and now we can contact you directly for that. But as we get close to the hour already, which went really fast, a couple of things I want to ask you is, so let's say someone says, you know what? I really like the Soul Circles uh, peer group. How do we contact you for that? So currently I am looking for pilots to run two different versions of it. And I am looking for chamber of commerce, venture capital firms, incubators, entrepreneur centers. My goal is not to recreate the wheel. I'm not going to try and recruit independent entrepreneurs into this program. I want places that entrepreneurs already trust and already go for help in order to to run programs through there. So if they're looking for me, great. I'll put them on a wait list. My goal is to be able to sell this program across the world. I want wherever it is that you have, just like AA, you can walk into a meeting in any city and, and kind of get that help. I'd love to create that model with this. And you can reach me for any of my information at bookcarolina.com. And it talks about all the different projects, my speaking and things of that nature. And I'll definitely put that the show notes. Awesome. The other thing too is I was telling you pre-show when we were having, we we're having a pre-interview. I feel so embarrassed. You have a podcast. I haven't listened to it. I feel so embarrassed. That's okay. <laughs> How about you tell me more about your podcast? So that way, you know, not only me, but my listeners can tune in. Sure. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. It's called the voice within podcast. And it's all about personal stories of intuition, because I think that I really feel in my heart of hearts that if we created a world where people were able to listen to their intuition more, we would have a different world. And so I really wanted to create, a, and because it is a pillar in my Soul Circles program, I wanted to create a show where it discussed how intuition shows up in people's lives. Everyday people, like a bus driver or a plumber or an accountant or whatever, because intuition is a shared experience that we as human beings all have. I don't care. If you're the most strong atheist in the world, you still have that, that, you know, something said, don't walk in there. And maybe you missed a mass shooting or whatever that looks like for you. We all have that. And so mm-hmm. I don't think it's talked about enough. And so I wanted to create something that was authentic and that turned the tables and made intuition the story. It's intuitively run. It's intuitively recorded. I don't know what my guests are going to talk about. I invite their intuition and mine to be present and let the conversation go wherever it's going to go. I just need to know that we can have, we can hold a conversation and then what shows up is fun and see what, how we react. So, because I want my reaction to be just as genuine as if I was listening to it on the other side. Well, if you ever need a guest, you can always please, Steve. Me, but no, definitely. Pr- no, no, pl- no pressure. No, yet. no, no, definitely. I'll send you a link afterwards. I'm, I'd love to have you on. And then episode, and if you ever have a chance, listen to episode 56 that I did with uh, Lisa Dennis. We talked about how that stuff, you know, all the spirituality and we call it woo-woo stuff and how it links to neuroplasticity and neurology. 
And like most people are like, how did you do that? And then they listen to me like, oh, it's more intuitive than I'm like, yes, exactly. Yeah. We all have intuition. Yeah. I, I believe that firmly. It's not a woman's intuition. It's a human's intuition. Absolutely. We just met men are taught to kind of like kill it. Yeah. But, you know, that's kind of the stuff that I would love. Again, if you ever need a guess, I'm 100% behind that. Awesome. But so any other way that they can reach you? Obviously, I'm going to put in the show notes. Sure. So you're talking about the Soul Circles? Yeah. We the Soul about- Circles program, soulcircles.ca. There is Business in Order, where I help you find peace, time, and profits through organizing your business backend. We leverage process improvement, system creation, and technology implementation. That's bizinorder.com. And my hypnotherapy practice, soulsolace.ca. And, but if you just go to Book Carolina, super easy, bookcarolina.com, all that information will be there. And again, I will make sure it's in the show notes. I'm writing it down, but I, I will definitely put that in the show notes. I appreciate it. I want to thank you, Carolina, because that, that was just a great conversation today. It went really fast. I know. I definitely like the, the intuition thing. You, I can go an hour on that easily myself. I'm so. gonna, I'm gonna totally take you up on that offer. So you'll be hearing from me soon. <laughs> I will be available, <laughs> but wanted to thank you for your time. And just because we're both Canadians, go Habs, go. <laughs> That's okay. I don't mind rooting for a winning team, so I'm, I'm fine with that. I know my Torontonians are going to kill me for that, but that's okay. <laughs> I, I just needed to say that. I mean, I'm in Boston. I get go Habs go gets in trouble around here too. So, believe me. <laughs> so thanks. A Thank lot. you, Steve. This was great. I appreciate it. Well, this concludes episode 60 of finding your way through therapy. Carolina Gutierrez, thank you so much. It was a great interview. Really enjoyed it. I hope that you go check her out on her website and her podcast, The Voice Within. But episode 61 will be with Catherine DeMonte. And I'm looking forward to her conversation. We're going to talk about therapy again. And I hope that you enjoy. Please like, subscribe, or follow this podcast on your favorite platform. A glowing review is always helpful. And as a reminder, this podcast is for information, educational, and entertainment purposes. If you are struggling with a mental health or substance abuse issue, please reach out to a professional counselor or therapist for consultation.